Good morning. Hello. Um, I'd like to start this morning with a little bit of group therapy, if that's okay. Um, and that's mainly because I've discovered that I have a problem. And um, if uh, some people may share this problem, you'll find out as, uh, as we go through. But essentially, my problem is the way that we deal with problems as it stands. And that's mainly to do with, partly, how old I am and the rate of advancement of digital technology. Okay? Because I'm 33, and uh, there may be people older than me in this room, there may be people younger than me in this room. Um, but I don't know if any of you have found yourself at a certain point in your life finding that, as I have in the last couple of weeks, mentioned at least three times something along the lines of, oh, they didn't do that when I was young. I know. Now, I may be a little bit over-mature for my time. I don't know. But I am concerned that the age gap between my natural retirement age and my digital retirement age is rapidly approaching. Digital retirement age being the age where I am completely clueless about the technology that my kids are dealing with. And I'm concerned that that is rapidly approaching and getting closer and closer. And I don't know if you've experienced this um, the same way. And the problem is, um, it, it concerns me a little bit because it will change the way that we um, think about things, and it will change our history. So, for example, I am concerned that that um, completely iconic comedy sketch by the Monty Python guys of the four Yorkshiremen sat next to each other reminiscing about how difficult things were in their day is going to become four guys in their 30s reminiscing about how they remember a time when iPhones had buttons. <laughs> it's a concern. Or when you used to play Snake on your Nokia 3210 if you were fortunate enough to have Snake, or when you had a pager so that your mum could text you, but you couldn't text back. Does anyone remember that? I had, I had a pager at secondary school. That's how cool I was. Genuinely, this was a real fad. For those who, do, I don't know if there may be some people in the room who don't know what a pager is. A pager is basically like a little black box with one line of text on the screen that somebody can send you a message just to let you know what's going on. So I had a pager for my mum to text me to say, I'm outside. Couldn't reply, couldn't do anything, but that was cool. That was cool when I was, I don't know, 12, 13. In my school anyway, probably not in other schools. It probably says more about who I am and my background than anything else. But the rate at which I am getting older digitally is a concern, mainly because my retirement plan, my digital retirement plan, is still one, two, five and nine years old. Because I am part of a digital retirement plan for the older generation in my family. Every so often I get a phone call saying the Wi-Fi's not working, or I can't connect to iTunes, or it's asking me for passwords. And that is a digital retirement plan. And mine are still too young for me to ask them what to do with technology. And that's an issue because of the way that we are dealing with problems at the moment. Because for most of us, historically, Certainly when I was seven years old, if I had a problem, I would go and ask my dad. Dad, what do I do? And he would have the answer, because when I was seven years old, my dad was the font of all wisdom and knowledge. Now, we ask Siri, or we ask Google, or we ask Alexa, or we ask any number of other technological um, geniuses. And I'm as guilty of this as anything, but I am concerned that very, very soon, I am going to have this conversation in my home which is, would you like some help with your homework? No, thanks, Dad. Alexa's helping me. <laughs> really? Why? Well, she's nicer, and she knows more about it. 
that is a genuine concern of something that's going to happen. And this is true of me as well. One of the things that I like to do is when I can't find something, I will put into Google how to do something. So an example, we've just been on holiday. One of the things that I did on holiday, and this is an insight into a holiday, but I changed some of the light bulbs on my wife's car. We had a side light out, we had a brake light out, and I decided we'd do that while we were away. So I Googled how to change side lights in the car, because I'm not a natural mechanic. Um, and I figured it out, and I went outside. It took me about five minutes. Brilliant, no problem. Next day, we realized that I changed a brake light and the front side light, that when we pressed the brake, the side lights were going on. <laughs> and then when she took her foot off the brake, the side lights went off. Brake lights were working as well, that's fine, but the fr essentially what I'd given her is front brake lights on the car, so that people coming the other way could see when we were slowing down, um, which is very useful, and I'm still not entirely sure why that's happened. I have Googled it, um, but it's not really um, kind of worked particularly well. I think I put the wrong bulb in, I don't really know. Um, but, interestingly, Google gives us a clue, sorry, my daughter's heckling me, Google gives us a clue about the state of society when it comes to solving problems. And I will get on to my actual preach in a minute. Just bear with me for a minute. Okay, but the autofill function on Google. Has anyone used the autofill function? If you put in how to and then look at what comes next, not your history, but what comes next as suggested topics. Can anyone guess what the top five suggested topics on Google? If you put in how to, don't do it now. If you put in how to, what are the top five things that come up? Any ideas? No, not change a lot, God. You would think so, wouldn't you? Not boil an egg. There is a cooking-related one, though. The cooking-related one is how to make pancakes. Okay, nice, that's good. Any other suggestions? It's like family fortunes, this, isn't it? No, again. Fairly predictably, how to lose weight is up there. Next one on the list is how to make slime. Then, and this will, only, this will only resonate with a couple of people in the room, potentially, I don't know, but how to get boogie down, right? Now, for those concerned that that is a dance move, it is a dance move, but it's actually a dance move on Fortnite. So it's how to get boogie down as a dance move that your character on Fortnite will perform at the end of the game if you win, right? That's a weird one. The fifth one, any ideas? Not how to Google, no. Again, rather predictably, how to train your dragon comes up. So, okay. But it says something about the state of society. But the issue with this is that all of these things come with a level of assumed knowledge. When you're trying to find out how to do something, all of these YouTube videos or training courses or different things that you can do, even in education, I work in education and there's always a level of assumed knowledge. That is the things that people already know before they start this course. So in other words, you have to have a level of assumed knowledge of something that you already know to get a huge amount of value out of it, because otherwise it's not going to mean a huge amount to you. And um, the preach this morning has a level of assumed knowledge. Ben said we're talking about kindness for one another. The level of assumed knowledge for this morning is we should be kind to one another. Because we know that. Right? I'm not going to stand here and, and, and give you six different... I am going to give you three reasons, but I'm not going to give you six different reasons for the entirety of the preach about why we should be kind to each other because you know that we should be kind to one another. If you've been a child, you will have been told, hopefully, by your parents to be kind to each other. 
If you have children, you will have said on about the 10 millionth time that day to your children to be kind to one another. And we know that we should do, but for many of us, that's obvious that we should speak kind words to each other, we should be kind to each other. Part of the issue is why. Um, and I'm going to give you three very good reasons why we should be kind to each other, having said that I wouldn't do. Three very good reasons why we should be kind to each other. Number one, because the Bible says to. Always the best one, number one. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, right? Jesus says be kind, it's fine. Um, but Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we should be kind to each other because Jesus was first kind to us, because God was first kind to us, because God paid the sacrifice for our sins, because he gave everything for us, because he had compassion on us in our darkest times. That is point number one, okay? But that also has a level of assumed knowledge, and that level of assumed knowledge is that you are a Christian and that you care about what the Bible says or that you believe in Jesus and you believe in God, okay? So, my next two points are, even if, you've not, even if you're not a Christian, this is why you should be kind to each other, okay? Point number two, the world is a better place when we are kind to each other. Now, you know that. My home is a nicer place and a better place when we are kind to each other in my family. I am a better person when I am kind to the people around me. My workplace is a better place when we are kind to those around us. Again, it's obvious, but it is something that is based on a biblical principle. Proverbs 11:17 says, a man of kindness attracts favor, while a cruel man attracts nothing but trouble. Essentially, if you're kind to people, they will want to be kind to you. This is something that I seem, seem to keep telling my kids over and over again. If you want people to be kind to you, you be kind to them. It doesn't always work uh, because there are other factors involved, but that is one of the key things. So we should be kind to each other because the Bible tells us to and because the world is a better place. Third point is because it says something about who we are. And this kind of brings up a question of what kind of person do you want to be? I've said that I work in education, and one of the things that I ask my students, I work in healthcare education, and I, I ask them, what kind of clinician do you want to be? Because you will see good examples and you will see bad examples. And which one you choose to follow will determine what kind of clinician you end up being. And that can be dependent on whether you make a choice or not. In other words, if you are intentional about it and you choose what kind of clinician you're going to be or what kind of person you're going to be, then you'll go that way. If you don't make a choice and you're not intentional, you'll follow everybody else by default and you'll still end up somewhere. It just won't be where you end up by your choosing. So... What kind of person do you want to be? There's an artist um, called Charles Maxey who my wife introduced me to, and she's, she was quite annoyed that I used this picture this morning, to be honest, um, because um, she really likes it and just wanted to, to share it with people, but I'm going to share it on her behalf. Um, but he is an artist who has a series ongoing about a little boy, and a little boy who has friends. He's friends with a mole and a fox and a horse, and they have conversations. Um, and there is a, a picture that I just wanted to share with you this morning, which is this. What do you want to be when you grow up? Kind, said the boy. That is incredibly profound if you stop and take a minute. 
Because actually, when we ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, do you want to, what kind of person do you want to be? We tend to focus on the doing. What do you want to do? What kind of job do you want? What do you want to have? What kind of stuff do you want? What do you want to be known for? Actually, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of qualities do you want to have? I believe that kindness should be central to who we are. And like I said, this is um, about who we are and what kind of person we want to be. But this is assumed knowledge. So this isn't actually what I want to talk about at all. So we've done that. That's the intro. Okay, I've got, 20, 20, I've got 27 minutes left. We've got loads of time. I'm assuming that clock's right. What I want to talk about is why, if we know that we all should be kind to each other, why are some people better at being kind than others? Because we know that they are. It's like anything. We know that we should be kind to each other, but not everybody is as good at being kind to each other as others. We know that we should all exercise, but not everyone is as good at exercising as other people. Some people are just much better at exercising. Some people are just much better at physically doing exercise in general. We know that we should eat healthily, but not everybody is as good at eating healthily as others. And the same is true of kindness. Why is that? Is it because of upbringing? Is it because of the way that our parents brought us up? Is it because we were subjected to a nice, kind environment when we were young? Is it because we've chosen to do that? Is it because we're just naturally gifted at being kind? Is it because um, some people have um, a specific goal in mind, that they go out of their way, they choose to be kind to other people? What's the deal? It's kind of a rhetorical question. I was wondering if anyone would answer, but it's okay. Because that's true of a lot of different things. Personal example, um, do any of you have dogs? Anyone, some, somebody, somebody has a dog? Okay. As dog owners, we know that we should pick up our dog poo. Not our dog poo, our dog's poo. Okay? We know that, but some people clearly are better at picking it up than others. Now, there are varying different possibilities with this. Some of it is about technique, I believe. Some of it is about natural aversion, and some of it is about laziness. But I'm going to come back to it a little bit later on, if that's okay. It's a teaser, just to kind of hang out there, like you'd hang a dog poo bag on a tree. Does anyone do that? No one's going to admit to that at all. Has anyone ever, just, this is group therapy, has anyone ever picked up your dog's poo, tied it in a bag, put it down by the side of the path with every intention of picking it up on their way back and then got back to their car at the end of the walk and realized, oh no. And then got in their car and driven away because they didn't want to drive back. Anyone ever done that? No, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> it's fine. It's all good. But there are things that we are better at doing than others. And so we have this spectrum. We've got this spectrum of people, some of whom are kinder than others. We've got a spectrum of people who aren't really kind to each other at all. We've got this spectrum of people right at the other end who are kind in every single thing that they do. Now, I don't know where you fit on that spectrum. But what I want to do this morning is talk about three things that we can do to get better at being kind to one another. Because we know that we should. We know that we're not always the best at it. So what can we do to be kind to one another in a better way? 
And the first thing that we can do, I believe, is to prepare to be kind. Now, the reason we do this is because there are things in your life that you know make it easier for you to be kind than others. We tend to notice it more, in fairness, with things that make it harder to be kind. Stress, for example, makes it harder to be kind. When you are stressed, when you're finding that life's really getting on top of you, it is really difficult to be kind to the people around you. When you're angry, it makes it really difficult to be kind to the people around you. Frustration makes it difficult to be kind. Pain. There is something about pain that shrinks our world. I think I've said this before. But there is something about pain that shrinks our world right down until all we can think about and focus on is the pain that we're in. And that makes it really, really difficult to focus on other people and actually be kind to other people. And that can be physical pain. That can be emotional pain. But they're things that make it difficult. Guilt makes it difficult. Bitterness makes it difficult. Fear makes it difficult. Insecurity makes it difficult. Those are all things in our lives that make it difficult and challenging to be kind to those around us. Being tired can do that. I am not good in the mornings at being kind to my kids. Just being honest. My kids at the moment have an average wake-up time of around about 5.30, which is fine on a work day because I tend to get up around then anyway, but on a weekend, I am not interested in being awake at 5.30 in the morning. And I find it really difficult to be kind when I'm being bashed over the head, saying, Daddy, I want to, I want to watch Fireman Sam on your phone. Just, just go away and leave me alone. Um, I'm not good at that, and I need to get better at it, and I'm working on it, and my wife is helping me work on that. She's, she's very good um, like that. Um, but there are things that prevent you from being kind. As I've said, I have a dog, and I, like, I take my dog for walks in the evening, um, and we tend to walk around the block. Essentially, we walk until he does a poo, and then we walk back and come around. I don't know why I'm focusing on this so much in, in my story, but you'll, you'll, you'll have to indulge me a little bit longer. Um, but the other night, I thought, I'll take a cup of coffee with me, go for a wander down around the block. Ziggy's on the lead. Um, and, uh, and eventually, we, we got to the point, he stopped, he did a poo. And like a responsible dog owner, I thought, right, I'm going to have to stop and pick up a poo. Now, for it, to, to pick up a dog poo, you need a bag, Okay which is really essential. Now, I did have a bag on me at this time, and there's a technique to doing it. So just kind of visualize with me, if you will. Coffee in one hand, dog lead in the other. Right, coffee cup down, bag, hands in the bag. You've got to put the hands in the bag, and then you essentially go down, you grasp the poo, you lift it up, and then there's a, there's a turning and, pull, and kind of pulling the bag inside out motion. Now, on this particular walk, what happened was I turned, and for want of a better term, a dollop (laughs) of dog poo left my hands, and I watched it drop all the way down into the cup of coffee that was on the floor. Now, in that moment, you are not interested in being kind to anyone. I wasn't interested in being kind to my dog. I wasn't interested in being kind to anybody who walked past me in the street. I had to take a longer walk home to just calm down. Obviously, having kind of rinsed, practicalities, you've got to rinse out the coffee cup, and then you've got to pick up the rest of the poo, and then all of that, and then you've got to find a bin and get rid of it. The point is, there are some times in your life where it is really, really difficult to be kind. There are some things in your life that are the equivalent 
of a dog poo in your coffee. <laughs> that is a phrase that's going to come back to haunt me, I can tell. That is just preventing you from being kind to other people. The Bible talks about this as well, not in the same terms, clearly. But we have this parable called the parable of the sower. Now, the parable of the sower, a very famous passage of scripture, is one where um, you have a farmer who goes out to sow some seed, and he sows on various different types of seed, field, and you've got field with rocks in, you've got field with weeds in, you've got field of fertile ground, you've got a path as well that he throws it onto. And Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and explains it and says that this is about God's word going out to hearts that are either receptive or are clogged up with things that will prevent his word from taking root. And I believe that we have a choice about what kind of hearts we want to have and how receptive we can be to the word of God. Matthew 13, 23 is just the end of this explanation. And Jesus says, as for the seed that fell upon good, rich soil, it represents the hearts of people who hear and fully embrace the message of heaven's kingdom realm. Their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was sown. Their lives bear good fruit. Kindness, as we'll come back to in a little bit, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things that comes out of your life if you allow the Word of God to take root and grow deeply within your heart. If you want to bear good fruit, you want to be kind to one another, sometimes we have to get rid of the stuff that's preventing God's Word from taking root. And that can be anger, bitterness, guilt, disappointment, frustration, whatever it happens to be for you. Sometimes it's about recognizing what needs to go to be able to prepare for kindness to one another. Sometimes it's about recognizing things that are needed and that choose to feed into our lives. So about creating a fertile ground. So we talked about things that we need to get rid of. Sometimes there are things that actually we can look for, good positive influences that we can build into our life that we can continue to do. Philippians 4, 4 to 9 says this, be cheerful. With joyous celebration in every season of life. That's when it's good, that's when it's bad, that's when it's difficult, that's when it's brilliant. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship, for our Lord is ever near. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. In other words, get rid of those things that you worry about, that you stress about. Be saturated in prayer. Throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Those are things to plant into your life. That you want to take root, that you want to flourish, that you want to cultivate, that you want to grow. If you do that, you're preparing for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. You're preparing for God's word to take root in you. And that will change what kind of person you are and what kind of person people experience around you. If you want your children to experience a good example of who you, of, 
If you want your children to experience a good example of what it is to lead a godly life, what it is to lead a kind life, what it is to lead a loving life, these are the things that you need to plant inside your heart. If you want your work colleagues to experience Jesus, if you want the people that you meet in the street to experience Jesus, if you want to actually benefit the people around you, to build up the people around you, these are the things to grow and develop and build into your life. Some things we have to get rid of, some things we want to plant and put in there. So we need to prepare, consider the influences on your life. There's one that kind of sums this up. There's a scripture, Proverbs 14, 22, that says, haven't you noticed how evil schemers always wander astray? But kindness and truth come to those who make plans to be pure in their ways. If you make plans, kindness will come out of you if you plan to be pure in your ways. So that's the first one, prepare to be kind. Second one is this, train to be kind. Now by train, I mean practice kindness. Choose to be kind to those around you. And in doing so, you train the way that you are. Um, to do this, we have to kind of consider how our brains work and how patterns of behavior are formed. So there is a, there's a biological, uh, neurological principle called neuroplasticity, um, which is essentially the way in which your brain forms pathways within it. So it's the way that your neurons, your nerve cells actually grow and connect together. And that changes the thoughts that you have. It changes the patterns of behavior that you have. So whenever you do something for the first time, your brain forms a connection within it. And if you do that over and over and over and over and over and over again, it will reinforce that connection and continually strengthen the connection of neurons. So it links one thing to another. And this is how we form habits. The strongest habits that we have are the ones that are kind of related to some sort of positive feedback mechanism where your body gets something out of it, which is why some of the destructive habits are because they feel good in that initial rush. Even if it's killing the rest of your body, some of the destructive habits that we can have can actually have a positive feeling that goes along with them, certainly initially, and it forms these connections within your brain. But you can choose to manufacture these connections in a way by what you choose to do. And this is how training comes in. So if you continually choose to do something, if you continually choose to repeat an action, if you continually choose to follow a particular thought in a particular direction, it reinforces within your brain that connection, very simplistic terms. So it reinforces that connection between what you choose to do and the outcome that you achieve. You can choose to train for kindness. If you are kind to people around you, whether you feel like it or not, it will become easier as time goes on because it literally becomes part of your psyche. It becomes part of your mentality. It becomes part of who you are choosing to be. And this is backed up by a biblical principle. So it's a biological principle. It's also a biblical principle. Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a psychological dynamic to you being transformed. Renewing your mind. Changing the way that you do things. Now, that can be difficult at first, but it gets easier as time 
goes on. We can train to be kind. And the way that we do that is through the third point, which is choosing to be kind. We prepare to be kind. We're going to train to be kind by choosing to be kind or choosing kindness. Because this is how the process starts, with a choice. You have to be deliberate in it. You have to be intentional in what you do. There's a scripture, Matthew 5, 43, 47. It says, your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. You see the extremes of of those adjectives. And respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to, f- to refresh. Whether a person does what is good or evil, what reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? How are you different from anybody else if you limit your kindness to your friends? Can we go back to the, f- to the first one? That will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. Kindness says something about who we are. But you have to choose to. And you have to choose to be kind to those people that you really don't want to. Because you're not going to get it back. That's not the point. That's not the model that God gave us. That's not the model that Jesus gave us. Jesus wasn't kind to us knowing that we would respond to him. He was kind to everybody by paying the debt for everybody, regardless of whether they would would return his love. That is the example that we should follow, our identity as children of God. We have to make a choice to be kind to one another. Matthew 5, 48 backs it up as well. It says, since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, you are to be perfect like him. No pressure. That's not a challenge. That's a promise. God is making you perfect like him. He may not finish his work until after we've left this world. Because none of us are perfect at this moment in time. But he is making you perfect like him. It is a process. It's a step-by-step process and we have to choose to engage with it we have to prepare for his word we have to train and we've got to choose to to engage with what God wants to do and the way we do that is surrendering our will to his because actually up until this point everything that I've talked about really is kind of self-help stuff it's psychological theory it's things that you can do you can choose to make a difference in your own life And this isn't a self-help session. I've said it's group therapy, but this isn't a self-help session. This isn't a um, kind of help yourself situation. It's not a support group. This is not a gospel of self-help. This is about transformation from my will to your will. This is choosing to allow God to work his miracle in us, to work his miracle in our hearts. 
It's the most famous prayer in the entire Bible, the one that Jesus taught us to pray. It starts with, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we start. It has to be a change, a transformation, a renewing of our mind. Yes, the things that we can do are helpful, but it has to have a spiritual dynamic. It has to be a transformation by God in us, in our hearts. It's a radical transformation of who we are. Fundamentally, who we are. From children of earth to sons and daughters of God. That's the process that we're going through. Jesus modeled it in his hardest moment. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in his moment of most personal turmoil, right before he was about to do the the most selfless act in human history, he prayed this prayer, which is, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of agony away from me, but no matter what, your will must be mine. Jesus came to demonstrate absolute kindness to us absolute selflessness, absolute love and compassion for each one of us in all of our circumstances and personal situations by dying on the cross to remove the barriers and the things that prevented us from engaging with God and to plant the fruit of the Spirit into us. Peace, love, joy, hope, hope, gentleness, goodness, kindness. Galatians 5, 25 lists these. It says, The fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus the Anointed One have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. If we want to have these qualities in our life, if we want these to be the things that people know us as, that people remember us as, that we actually impart to other people, whether it's work, whether it's home, whether it's children, whatever it is, if we want those qualities to be the main thing, we have to give up our self-life and allow his life to come in to us. Because at the end of the day, we can't do this on our own. This is not self-help. Yes, we can prepare to be kind. We can train to be kind, we can choose to be kind, but that is not going to get you to this. Jesus is the only way to have a radical transformation of your life, to change you on a day-by-day basis, because it is a process, we're not perfect, and it doesn't make you perfect immediately. But Jesus is the only way and the only person who can do this, who can bring these qualities out of you. Above all else, We have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us. Ezekiel 36, 26 is another promise from God. It says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. For some of us, 
We need a daily, in fact, for all of us, I believe, we, whether we take it or not, we need a daily heart transplant. Because we're not always good at this. We're not always good at being kind to one another. We're not always good at, at loving one another. We're not always good at demonstrating that compassion. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not a personal failing on your part. It's a recognition that we need to allow Jesus to come in and re-transform our hearts. And that's what I believe is available for you this morning. If you would like Jesus to come into your heart and change it, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time or the however many times before that, if while I've been talking, there's been a recognition, actually, do you know what? I'm not great at that. I could get better at that. Or I've got some stuff I need to get rid of. That power is available for you this morning. That love is available for you this morning. So I'm going to pray. And if you want to receive that for the first time, then I'd encourage you to talk to somebody at the end. Have a chat with the guys in the welcome area or come to the front and, and, and pray with us here. Um, but I want to pray for everybody because I believe this is something that is applicable to all of us because we're all somewhere on this spectrum. However brilliant you may be today, there will be days that you struggle when we need Jesus to come and renew who we are. So Father, I thank you for your promises. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are sowing it out. God, to, to reach us, to transform our hearts, to create a fertile harvest in us. And Father, I pray that for each one of us this morning, God, that we will receive from you again. Father, you will transform our minds. You'll continually transform our minds and renew our minds. That, Father, you will make it easier for us to be kind to one another because we are focusing on you. And Jesus, I thank you that you love us. However good we are at being kind, however much we struggle, Father, that you love us and that your desire is to see us change and become more perfect like you as children of God. So Father, I pray that this week you will help us to grow closer to you. Father, to prepare to be kind. Father, to train to be kind and choose to be kind by relying on you and your Holy Spirit. 